Proverbs chapter 31, we'll be reading once again from verses 10 through 31. Let's bow together in prayer. Father in heaven, what a great blessing, what an honor it is that we might come together to worship the name of Jesus Christ. Father, I thank Thee that it has pleased Thee to preserve us throughout the day and throughout the week thus far to bring us to this time of worship. Father, would You please help us to set aside all the distractions, all the things that would keep us from hearing Thy Word, and there are many. Father, by the power of thy spirit come as we assemble this evening at this time of uh, of day midweek many no doubt are weary but father we have come into thy presence and we ask that by thy mercy and grace and by the power of thy spirit thou wouldst come and encourage us and strengthen us so that we might hear thy word and be changed Come, Lord, and exalt the Lord Jesus. In your name I ask. Amen. Proverbs chapter 31, verse 10. Who can find a virtuous woman? For her price is far above rubies. The heart of her husband doth safely trust in her, so that he shall have no need of spoil. She will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. She seeketh wool and flax and worketh willingly with her hands. She is like the merchant's ships. She bringeth her food from afar. She riseth also while it is yet night and giveth meat to her household, and a portion to her maidens. She considereth a field, and buyeth it. With the fruit of her hands she planteth a vineyard. She girdeth her loins with strength, and strengtheneth her arms. She perceiveth that her merchandise is good. Her candle goeth not out by day, excuse me, her candle goeth not out by night. She layeth her hands to the spindle, and her hands hold the distaff. She stretcheth out her hand to the poor. Yea, she reacheth forth her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of the snow for her household, for all her household are clothed with scarlet. She maketh herself coverings of tapestry. Her clothing is silk and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sitteth among the elders of the land. She maketh fine linen, and selleth it, and delivereth girdles unto the merchant. Strength and honor are her clothing, and she shall rejoice in time to come. She openeth her mouth with wisdom, and in her tongue is the law of kindness. She looketh well to the ways of her household, and eateth not the bread of idleness. Her children arise up, and call her blessed her husband also, and he praiseth her. 
Many daughters have done virtuously, but thou excellest them all. Favor is deceitful, and beauty is vain. But a, man, a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands, and let her own works praise her in the gates. Amen. Now, brethren, we have come back to this precious passage again to consider the fact that a virtuous woman is priceless because of whom she serves. We are approaching uh, this particular portion of Scripture from the perspective of the virtuous woman's godly fear. And we have entitled uh, this message, A Woman That Feareth the Lord. This is part two. And we are unfolding this theme in several messages with three things in mind. First, the definition of a virtuous woman's godly fear. And we considered that last week. <clears throat> the manifestation of a virtuous woman's godly fear. And then the fruit of a virtuous woman's godly fear. Tonight we will take up the manifestation of a virtuous woman's godly fear. And we will likely not conclude all of the things that I would like for us to consider. <clears throat> but we do want to take up, following what we uh, considered last week, we now want to take up the manifestation of a virtuous woman's godly fear. Now, <clears throat> we saw in our last study together that a woman who feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. The fear of the Lord is the key to the Proverbs. If you'll go to the beginning of this precious book and begin to read, you will find the fear of the Lord spread throughout. And it is a key to understanding what the Proverbs are all about. We agreed with Charles Bridges' definition of the fear of the Lord as that affectionate reverence by which the child of God bends himself humbly and carefully to his father's law. Old Testament scholar Bruce Waltke says that the fear of the Lord means essentially to submit to his revealed will. That's ultimately what the fear of the Lord is about. It encompasses, of course, worship. But as we've said many times, the fear of the Lord doesn't mean being scared of God. It does not mean having an unhealthy and a servile fear of the living God, but a holy, awesome respect that manifests itself in a loving reverence and a humble obedience to God's Word. Now, this is very, very important <clears throat> because this means that the virtuous woman's day-to-day -day life displayed for us here 
is in harmony with the law of God. We're not simply having uh, a lovely poem set before us. We need to remember that this is rooted directly in the Word of God and in the context, it's rooted directly in the covenant of God. And therefore, the notion set before us of her fear of the Lord means that this is a woman who could say with the psalmist, Oh, how love I thy law. It is my meditation day and night. This is a woman who loves God's word. And that is indeed rare, is it not? <clears throat> what we observe in the woman of this passage is her affectionate reverence and obedience to God's Word. <clears throat> By her obedience, she brings the rule of God to earth and gives us a vision of God's kingdom in daily life. Does that make sense? Are we, are we together enough tonight? We've been able to shake, up a, uh, shake off enough of the week that that says something to us. This is what the rule of God looks like right now. This is what the kingdom of God looks like in time, in space, in history. This isn't just a nice woman. This isn't just uh, a hard worker. That's, that's all there. But that misses the point altogether. A woman who fears the Lord is a woman who is manifesting the rule and reign of God in her life. And this is what it looks like. This isn't simply a picture of a pleasant life. A lovely woman. It is a portrait of God's rule in the heart. The virtuous woman's domestic life is a manifestation of her godly fear. And one of the reasons for pointing this out is because today, we have moved away in our feminized culture from the notion of the nobility and the importance of having housewives. This is looked at as a, uh, a, uh, an awful place to be. It's slavery. And very often if you read feminist literature, that's just exactly the terminology that they spew. They say, well, here it is. You know, I mean, uh, men have their slaves, and that includes those that uh, labor for them and women. And, and so the, the notion of a woman being uh, uh, a fervent, conscientious, and meticulous housewife is looked at as, you know, just part and parcel of... Uh, the horrors and the evil of patriarchy, uh, the, the, the awful results of, uh, of a Christian mindset, a biblical mindset, and something to be dispensed with. 
so I return to the point that I want to drive home. What we see right here in these basic and simple things that are being set before us, and when I say simple, I don't mean simple-minded. Uh, what I'm talking about is she's not slaving here um, over a test tube, uh, trying to figure out the molecular structure of something indeed very complex. I'm not talking about that. I'm just saying daily life in the home and dominion over the house is the very rule of God. This is not some little thing. This is a glorious display of God Himself in the heart of woman. You are looking at the glorious and high calling of women. Now, this is not to say that they can do nothing else. That's not the purpose of this. But it is to set forward before our very eyes what God's rule in the heart of a woman looks like. So, <clears throat> I have seven things that I would like for us to cover. And we will probably only make it through a few of them this evening. But this is what we want to consider tonight. And then again, if necessary, next week as well. Number one, her godly fear is seen in her faithfulness. Her godly fear is seen in her faithfulness. Number two... Her godly fear is seen in her unchanging goodness. Her unchanging goodness. Number three, her godly fear is seen in her diligence. Number four, her godly fear is seen in her selflessness. Number five, her godly fear is seen in her wisdom. Number six, her godly fear is seen in her mercy. And finally, number seven, her godly fear is seen in her manner of speaking. <clears throat> so, there are other things here, but these are the ones that I have chosen as I think most representative of the notion that we find here of a godly fear. So, the first thing we want to take up under the manifestation of her godly fear is her faithfulness. Her affectionate reverence by which she bends herself humbly and carefully to her Father's law is seen in her faithfulness. Verse 10 says, who can find a virtuous woman, for her price is far above rubies, the heart of her husband doth safely trust in her, verse 11, so that he shall have no need of spoil. Now, the first thing to point out is the heart of her husband, the, the core of his being rests in his blessed wife, in his excellent wife, 
He safely trusts in her. Now, all we have to do is think about that, I think, uh, fairly quickly. And it's obvious to any of us that we only trust, if we have any sense, we only generally trust those who have proven themselves to be trustworthy. Now, we can foolishly trust anybody that comes along, and I know some of us here have been guilty of that. The one speaking to you is certainly guilty. But in time, hopefully, we learn that we don't just trust anybody and everything. We rest in those who prove themselves faithful. It's very distressing. It is troubling to count on someone and then have them not come through. To hope and to trust (laughs) and then to have them let you down, so to speak. Now, we all do this. But is is this our main character? Is this what we show all the time? All of us, every one of us in here has failed others, has failed others that we love numerous times. But the point is, is our character essentially that of someone in whom we trust? The godly woman's fear of God is seen in the fact that she is faithful. The heart of her husband doth safely trust in her. Why? The answer is that all her domestic actions that follow and the business relationships that she has that follow speak of the highest integrity and faithfulness. To those who have eyes to see, this is a stunningly beautiful thing. Ladies, would you be beautiful? Then be faithful. Be one in whom your husband can truly, truly trust. Now, I know the Word of God says the arm of flesh will fail you. And of course, I do not mean trust in an absolute way. I do not mean trust in the the way we would trust the Lord. That, of course, would be foolish. We all know that even that dear beloved one, the closest one on the planet to us, our treasures, our children, all know that we fail. But we can, by the grace of God, be faithful in our characters. The the virtuous woman is first faithful to God. First and foremost, she is faithful to God. Because she loves her God and knows His will, by faith she exercises her domestic Dominion. That's what you see going on here. 
This isn't just a ho-hum, look at a, a, an average housewife's day. Of course, we certainly couldn't call this average, could we? But, uh, but that isn't the point. What we have set before us is a, a glorious glimpse of someone who is exercising the dominion in her household that God has granted her. She serves a faithful God. She knows from the Scripture of His great faithfulness. And she does all these things reflecting His glory. As the psalmist declares, I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. With my mouth will I make known Thy faithfulness to all generations. For I have said, Mercy shall be built up forever. Thy faithfulness shalt thou establish in the very heavens. The virtuous woman is rooted. She's in union with the faithful God. She knows her God. She knows He's the covenant-making and the covenant-keeping God. The, the very Word of God Every time she opens it, speaks of His great works and of His great acts. He is faithful. God has never failed His people. Deuteronomy 7.9 says, Know therefore that the Lord thy God, He is God, the faithful God, which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love Him and keep His commandments to a thousand generations. You notice that? He keeps covenant and mercy with them that love Him and keep His commandments. This is exactly what we see being worked out before us. Here is a faithful woman trusting a faithful God, and we see His rule being manifested in her life. As she handles the affairs of her husband, the the, the the, what we might even consider the mundane things of this life, and by her faithful submission to the commandments of God, she reflects the glories of that faithful God, and her husband rests. Her husband, in the core of his being, safely trusts her. She is faithful to her God, and therefore she is faithful to her husband. She is faithful with his money. She's not a spendthrift. She doesn't just take his money and spend money behind his back. She doesn't decide, well, I'm angry at him. I'll just go down and just charge the cards up to the max. Those kind of things happen. I imagine you know... She's faithful with time. She doesn't sit around all day on the phone just talking to people or nowadays just spend the whole day surfing the net, doing hours and hours and hours of email while the children are bouncing off the walls. She learns how to govern her time so that 
It works with his schedule. Much as we would all probably love to function without schedules, they are a necessity in this life. And for a woman to faithfully manifest a holy reverence for the Lord, there is a respect of time. Her husband's, hers, and the time of others. She is wise in how she plans, and she does what she can to faithfully execute that planning as the Lord grants. Sometimes our very best sounding schedules, the Lord is very pleased to sweep just right right out of the room. And He does. But, we're talking about the character. We leave the outcome to the Lord and what He brings to pass. She is faithful to prepare. As we're going to see, she's wise. She has learned from the Word of God and she attempts with all of her heart to be a uh, one who is a good planner. Sisters, it's important that you know how to be good planners. Always that should be done uh, with your head bowed before the living God. You should seek His face. You should pray. You should ask for His blessing and be satisfied when He's not particularly impressed with your schedule. But when He does bless, we see the fruit of careful planning. If you just bounce off of the day and the providences that roll along, that may work short term if there are not too many people involved. But as soon as children come on the scene, you have to start having some schedules. They get hungry. They need to be changed. They don't always wait for when you're rested. And you need to be thinking and, and trying to prepare as the Lord grants wisdom and grace. <clears throat> she is faithful to her husband with her affections. She does not pour out her affections. She does not give of herself physically to another man. She is a woman of fidelity. Was this not Israel's failure over and over and over? Didn't the Lord rebuke Israel for her unfaithfulness? He plainly said that her whoring after other gods was a wicked, wretched, and filthy transgression. It was adultery. Ladies, you must be careful. It is fine for all of us to have friends of the opposite gender 
it's impossible to live in this world without our being friends, having friends and family and knowing people of the opposite gender. But you must be careful and guard your hearts that your heart is always faithful to your husband. It's very easy for us to become emotional adulterers. We can become unfaithful without ever even touching someone. I've had to counsel people in the past who are having extraordinary difficulties in their marriages because one partner had become too emotionally attached to someone that they never even touched. But you don't have to touch to give birth to a relationship that may ultimately be one of infidelity. Guard the heart. That's spoken not only to men, but to women. For out of it are the issues of life. So, the manifestation of a virtuous woman's godly fear is seen in her faithfulness. The rule of God on earth, His glorious kingdom, is seen when she's faithful. When she is faithful to her God, both in worship and prayer, obedience to His commandments, which manifests itself in faithfulness to her husband with his money, his time, planning, and with her affections. And do we not see Christ's faithfulness reflected in this? Does not this kind of faithfulness stir in us admiration? It is a wonderful thing to see a woman who obviously delights in her husband. Husbands, by the way, let's put a footnote to this. Are you the kind of husband that your wife can delight in? By nature, none of us are. It's something that only by God's grace we may truly be able to be someone, I'm afraid all of us are really going to have to depend on grace most of the time. But the point is we must, with all of the mercy and grace and kindness that our Heavenly Father will, will show us, be the kind of woman, uh, excuse me, be the kind of man, I'm not in San Francisco, I? Uh, be the kind of man that the Lord strengthens so that He is a, a delight to his wife. She loves him and manifests it. You see, that, that kind of faithfulness breathes the, the Spirit of Christ. Jesus said, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me. You hear that? The Son of God, my meat, what I feed on, what I delight to digest, to take in and consume and digest is what my Father has given me to do. You see, that's 
That's the kind of faithfulness we see in a virtuous woman. Her heart, the heart, excuse me, the heart of her husband safely trusts in her because she delights to do the will of God. And in so doing, she delights to be faithful to her husband. The Lord Jesus could boldly say without fear of contradiction, I do always those things that please Him. He always pleased His Father. Always. Sisters, take heart. Don't look to yourself to be able to be faithful. Look to the One to whom you are in union by faith. And find in Christ the strength to be faithful to your God in heaven and to your husband. I've been here long enough to know that there is a room of very gracious ladies here this evening. They put up with a great deal from the likes of us. And it is amazing that they actually do love us. But brethren, do our wives have to simply learn to tolerate us in a holy fashion? Or do we so submit ourselves to our God that they love Christ in us? That there is about us that which reflects our Master. Well, number two, her godly fear is seen in her unchanging goodness. In her unchanging goodness. Verse 12 says, She will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. The word translated good means anything or anyone that is desirable because it or he deserves, or excuse me, it or he serves the purpose for which it was made. Let me say that again. The way the Hebrew falls out here, the way that it is used and the notion behind it is when we say something is good according to the Scriptures, We are talking about something or someone that is desirable because it or because he serves the purpose for which it is made. I've said before that in the Hebrew mind, the notion of good was always associated with God. Why? Well, because the opening words of God's special revelation, the the opening chapters, that is, tell us that God created everything and then He pronounced it good. His creation reflects His goodness. Paul tells us that in Romans chapter 1. We can see the things that are made and we can know some things about God. And when we see the glories of a sunrise, when we see the beauty of a great and grand sweeping canyon, when we see the the, the awesomeness of a mighty sea, uh, or any of the things that that we can uh, view in creation, we know that there's a goodness about that God. (laughs) 
God created all things and pronounced them good. So the Hebrew mind related the idea of good to God. Women are made in the image of God. Therefore, they serve the purpose of God when their behavior is rooted in and in conformity with the Word of God. That's why this is a good woman. And she does good all the days of her life to her husband. To say that she will do him good, as verse 12 says, doesn't mean that she simply does whatever her husband wants her to do. (laughs) Unfortunately, in our sinful natures, men basically just want uh, someone to clean up for them and take care of them and uh, do things for them. They rarely want to take their godly responsibilities and they often, unfortunately, simply use women to their own benefit. This is the tragedy of sin. And knowing what men are, I find it a staggering pronouncement of Scripture that the virtuous woman does him good all the days of his life, all the days of her life. Men, you know what you're like. Such a man as Dr. Lloyd-Jones once said as someone was heaping praise on him, he said, if you knew what went on in me sometimes, you would spit on me. Now, if the Word of God has dealt with the hearts of any of you men here, that isn't a shocking statement to your ears. How is it that a woman can do good to men? Uh, Many of the feminist complaints are rooted in truth. My daughter once did a research paper on the early feminist of the, the, some of the very early feminists, there have been three feminist movements in the history of our country. She was studying some during uh, the early part of the 19th century. And of the three women that were among the movers and shakers of the feminists <clears throat> of that day, two of them had been married to pastors. One who beat her. So it is understandable that women might despise when men take advantage of them and use them and simply treat them like minute maid that also happens to supply hugs and kisses. Yet the virtuous woman will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. How can that be? Well, this can only come from a heart made new by the regenerating grace of God. What all of this means when it says she will do him good doesn't mean 
that she just crawls around on her hands and knees and serves him. When it says she will do him good, it means she, all of her actions and words towards him, or, or let me back up and say it this way, what it means is that all of her actions and words towards him flow from and are in harmony with the Word of God. For a woman to do a man good means she treats him according to the way God says to. That's doing good. I remember certain times as I was growing up hearing my father barking at my mother to bring him his ice cream faster. He got a little tired of waiting for it. It would make him just a little cranky and he'd, he'd make us all know that. My mother very graciously brought him those things most often without a word in reply. Years later, when I would walk with my father, he would say to me, you know, your mother has been very good to me. Now, if a lost man can perceive that, then what we're saying is my original point. When a woman walks in these things right here and does them with a heart of love for the living God and very often even with love for that vessel of clay called her husband, then we're seeing the rule of God in this world. See, this is a virtuous woman. She does him good. That even means when she needs to, to stand and say, but the Word of God has said this to us. It doesn't mean that a woman is a doormat. And it doesn't mean that a woman is to necessarily take part in wicked things because her husband husband desires it. But it is saying that her general character is one of a behavior rooted in the Word of God and expressed to her husband when she needs to. She turns the other cheek. But brethren, I trust that that this speaks. The virtuous woman is so very rare because she walks trusting her God. She is faithful because she has a faithful God. And she has an unchanging goodness. Oh, I don't mean she's perfect in this world. Nobody is. But her goodness and her behavior rooted in God's Word goes on in God's Word. But that man with whom she lives, that's why his heart safely trusts in her. <clears throat> you 
It is only possible when one is in saving union with Christ Jesus to live a consistent life of doing good. What does it say about the Lord Jesus Christ? It says, He being filled with the Holy Spirit did what? He went about doing good. And that doesn't mean good the way the world defines it or the way your emotions or my lusts define it. It means the way God's book sets it before our hearts and souls. What we see in this woman's life as it unfolds before our eyes is a love for God, a love for His Word, a love for His covenant. She has internalized God's law. She knows what God expects and by trust in the faithful God. She walks according to His Word. The Scriptures inform her mind. The Scriptures guide her conscience. And the Scriptures will bear fruit to all those around her. That's what we're seeing in Proverbs 31. Her love for God, her love for her husband, and her love for her household motivates her. Or all these motivate her to hard work for the benefit of all. She will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. And again, does this not show forth the glorious character of our God? I, the Lord thy God, I change not. That's the only reason He didn't destroy Israel. He was faithful and good even when Israel was not. Ladies, unfortunately, there are days when your husbands are not pleasant to live with. But look to your God and trust and rest in Him. Don't build your happiness on your husband. Build your happiness on the one who does not fail. And then you can love your husband as he is. You can see him as he is. There's no shadow of turning in our God or in His Christ. And when a woman who knows the Lord walks with Him, though she will be tempted sore and though she may on occasion fail, she will do good to her husband all the days of her life. I will close this particular portion with one more personal anecdote. I had only been married to my dear beloved wife for a few years when her grandfather lay dying in the hospital. And it was quite clear. I walked into the room and I saw a look in his face that it was the first time in my life that I had seen that look, but it's a look that I've seen since then. I don't know how to describe it other than the look of someone who's not much longer for this world. It's the look of death manifesting itself. 
We talked with him and we prayed. And the family was gathered around. And the, his faithful wife had been with him uh, for years and years and years and years through every kind of imaginable hardship. And the family had come in for visitation. We were all around the bed. And the mother, his wife, the, the grandmother, had stepped back and was uh, away while we were all around the bed. And he somehow noticed, even with all of us around him, she wasn't around the bed anymore. And I saw him kind of look, and he caught her eyes back there. And he, he'd worked out in the oil field for years and years. He had great big hands, big strong hands. And as he was not long for the world, he held out his hand. And it was shaking, but he was able to get a finger pointed, and he said, that's a good woman. What a testimony. What a blessing that a man who knows that he's not long for this world and has some glimpse of what he's been recognizes faithfulness, goodness in a woman Well, finally, let's consider one more thought and then we will close for the evening. Her godly fear is seen in her diligence. Her diligence. When we start at verse 10 and work down to verse 12, what we're basically doing is setting ourselves up for the life that flows from the description. We see that she's virtuous. She's an excellent person. Excuse me, an excellent wife or an excellent woman. Her price, her value is above rubies, far above rubies. Her husband's heart trusts in her. Because she does him good and not evil all the days of her life. And then what that good and not evil is begins to unfold before us. Starting in verse 13. Now, as I've said before, we've already looked through all the verbs that were set out here. All these action verbs, we won't go through all of them again. You can sit down and read this passage over and over. And of course, what do you see is divine energy, holy activity. And we can only stand in awe of her persistent hard work. Her sense of purpose. Her sense of loving obedience to her Heavenly Father sets a fire in her soul that produces great industry. And we see it here before us. Ladies, if you are governed by your emotions, there will be days when you won't be motivated to do those things that you need to do. If you are simply governed by how you feel, there are some days when you're not going to feel very good about that fellow that you're married to. 
I know that's probably very rare. Maybe it hasn't happened to any of you. However, I've got a book about you and me. So I don't have to live under your roof to know there's not a man in here that at least for a fraction of a second, once in a while, is not pleasant to be around. And for you to get up and look at the things that face your domestic dominion, <laughs> you might not be very motivated if it's built on Him or the way you feel that day. That's why you must know your God. The virtuous woman is motivated by a love for Christ. We love Him because He first loved us. She sets her affections on things above, not on things on the earth. Brethren, this is the only hope any of us have for a truly genuine, lasting, consistent joy in life. It is in knowing the living God and being filled with an understanding of His eternal love for us, having loved us with an everlasting love, having loved us before the foundation of the world, having so loved us that He gave His only begotten Son, that sinners such as you and I might have everlasting life by faith in Him, by faith in the risen Christ. To know that His shed blood was spilled for us. Women, know and love Him as Mary that sat at His feet. Get a hold of that good part. And then, you'll have the proper perspective on how to deal with what goes on under your roof. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. We also know that the grace of God that brings salvation comes from our beloved Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. For what purpose? Well, to redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto Himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. Sisters in here, it doesn't say, Oh, I'll be zealous of good works if I, if I feel like it. If, I, if, if my husband acts right today, if he remembers our anniversary, if he remembers our, uh, my birthday, if he remembers to take out the trash, you'll be disappointed. You will have a roller coaster life. You will have an inconsistent joy at the very best and one that will ultimately pass away. But if you know the living Christ, and are motivated by His love for you, if your heart is filled with joy and praise and thanksgiving, with Him and who He is, you can know a genuine diligence that doesn't have to be rooted in the way things are going. You will seek wool and flax and work willingly with your hands. You'll be like the merchant ship and come with food from afar. You'll rise while it's yet night and give meat to your household. You'll consider a field and buy it. 
and all of these things with joy and love for Christ. Delight in your husband. Delight in your children. Delight in the good things that God has given you in this life. But first and foremost, know your God. This is what makes the virtuous woman what she is. A woman who fears the Lord shall be praised. All of these things that we will consider again next week flow from them. Let's pray. Oh Lord Jesus, oh how I thank Thee for the blessed sisters that Thou hast brought to this place. And I pray that You would encourage every one of them Fill their hearts and souls with a love for Thee that surpasses all loves so that they might know how as excellent wives to love their husbands. May they rejoice that their sins are washed away in the blood of Christ. And may they know the delight then of His presence in prayer so that they loving Him and loved by Him, can live in their homes as truly virtuous women. And may it all be to Thy glory and honor. In Jesus' name, Amen. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reform books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. 
It is indeed a horrible thing for the papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important. When he says that God had commanded no such thing, and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.